The following is a Kingfisher Media production. We believe that all of us have more in common than we have in conflict. Us versus them and me versus you won't take us as far as looking at each other and thinking, this is what I like about you. My name is AC Fisher, and with me is... I'm Alexis Lynn, your co-host. And with us, we have... Is that <laughs> my turn away. to say? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd have some fun with that one. <laughs> Daniel Levin. I didn't know if you were going to keep going or if it was here. <laughs> we'll so all I'm figure Daniel this out Levin, together. <laughs> and I'm yeah. thrilled to be here with you both. Okay. Daniel is... Uh, author of a fantastic book called The Mosaic. I have to admit, I haven't finished the whole thing. I'm only a couple of chapters in listening on Audible. It's a great book. And the audiobook I was surprised to learn is actually narrated by the author himself. So it's kind of interesting having the author kind of reading me my nighttime stories. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so far, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. And this is one of those things where we were discussing before starting the recording here, how to approach talking about just life in general with somebody who has written a book that touches on every aspect of life without turning this into a shameless book pitch. <laughs> <laughs> we won't do that. We won't do that. By the no. mosaic, by the mosaic. No, I'm <laughs> we, won't, we won't do that. <laughs> No, you know what? Let's just get that out of the way. Buy yeah. the mosaic. You won't yeah. regret spending the money. In fact, buy several copies and give some to your friends. Everybody will enjoy this book. Who doesn't want to explore the deepest questions it, that life has to offer? What is the meaning of life? Let's figure this out together by reading the mosaic. Thank you so much. And, and really, what I like about it is it's a fable. It's just a story. And in the story it is a charming story that will allow you to change the way you see the world and the perspective that you have by the simplest ways. And so what I say about it, and then we'll, we'll stop talking about it because this is enough. What I say about it is the words to the book tell a charming story. But what people don't realize when they read something is that the spaces between the words also say something too, if you would take time to sit with them and listen. And you can't have words. You can't tell a story without space between the words because the words would all mumble jumble into each other and you wouldn't know what anybody's saying. Mm -hmm. But even more than that, what is the space between the words saying? What's the space between your thoughts saying? What's the space in your life saying? And if you take time to just think about some of the things that happen and the space in which they happen, what would that give you? What would it give you if you could see the world that you live in in a different way than you see it right now? And that's what I like about the idea of, of inviting people to listen to the space between the wor words. Maybe it says something, maybe it doesn't. But if it, the, the whole concept is I look at a book and I read the words and I think that's what the book is saying. What if we slid that concept to the left and just said, "What now we don't have any words. What would the space say to me? And most people are too scared to look at that space. I actually like yeah. that approach. I remember years ago reading an interview with Keith Richards, and they were talking to him about his philosophy surrounding music. 
And he'd said that sometimes the loudest notes are the ones that are not played. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I would agree. Some, I, I believe the silence speaks much louder than our words. But we don't spend time in the silence, so we don't really know that. But when we listen to the silence and really ask it what it's saying, it's thundering. What we, we hear another voice inside of ourselves that is a whisper, that's silent, that's very, very, uh, it, it's not pushy at all. But when we hear that voice, we get to know ourselves in a way we've never, ever known ourselves before. And that's powerful. What does that voice say to you? Oh, my God. It changes all the time. But what my voice says to me is there is nothing more important in the world than to feel loved and accepted, to feel listened to and heard and to feel acknowledged and validated. And that voice undermined everything that I had in my life. I thought I was living a very, very conscious, purposeful life my whole life. And when that voice came, none of what I did before seemed at all important. Because all that seemed important was that I look at the people that I meet in my life. And I've had the opportunity to be with the wealthiest people in the world and the poorest people in the world. And all of them wanted that same thing. When I sit down now and I realize it from, because I've heard that voice inside me, I realize everybody wants that. They just want to be loved and accepted, listened to and heard and acknowledged and validated. And that I could do that for people. I don't have to, I don't, I don't have to fix them, change them, help them, feed them, convert them, make them better, do anything. They're perfectly beautiful the way they are. And when I can just, like everything about you, accept everything about you, uh, acknowledge who you are and, and validate everything about you. I don't have to believe like you, but when I do that for you, the walls around people fall down mm-hmm. and suddenly what emerges is who they are themselves. And in that emergence of self, they start to hear the voice that's in them as well. And sometimes it's the first time they've ever heard that voice. And Mm -hmm. that moment is exquisite. I liked what you were saying about, you know, you can't tell what's in a book Mm -hmm. if you're just looking at it, you know, and I, I, I view people as the same way, you know, with all of this, uh, gender battling and, you know, in department stores and in schools and, you know, talking about what people can wear, you know, and I was just thinking, what does it matter? (laughs) It's like, you know, there's somebody on, you know, in here yeah, and that's, what's important. And I guess that leads me to this question. I know you and AC have had some time to talk and you've met each other before, but I haven't really had the pleasure. So this is exciting for me because I feel like I'm going to be able to ask some of these questions uh, and kind of get, you know, a fresh new answer. Um, so I had a question for you. I wanted to ask you, I'm going to pull up my notes because I, I want to word this properly. I wanted to ask you what you find that is personally most fulfilling to you. And and before you answer, I, I wanted, because I've asked myself this question, and sometimes I think, wow, 
this is not an impressive answer. <laughs> like if I, if someone knew this is what I find fulfilling, you know, they might find, you know, think that I'm kind of crazy or not. So, but I wanted to ask you that question and, and for a minute, like not worry about like impressing anyone with the answer. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be philosophical, but what do you find that's most fulfilling to you in your life? So there's so many things that come to surface, but I think for me, one of the most fulfilling moments and experiences I've had in my life has been the experience of my, of being with my daughter. Mm -hmm. I have a 31 year old daughter that I've never been able to have a conversation with mm -hmm. because she yeah. can't, she can't speak the way we can. Mm -hmm. She's got a developmental delay. And when she speaks, people don't understand what she's saying. And somehow because she's the closest person in my life, I've put a lot of energy in trying to understand her. And I understand her more than most people, but I don't understand her most of, many, much of the time. Yeah. And she'll try so hard to get to communicate to me and try and tell me what she's saying. And I'll try so hard to understand her. And when she speaks and I don't understand her, what she'll do is she'll say it louder because she probably looks at me and says, my dad's getting old and he's probably losing his, his hearing, you know, <laughs> which is, which he's not like totally wrong kid, on, yeah. right? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so she'll say it louder, but her loudness will turn into a scream. And when I don't understand her from the scream, because now she's just screaming jarbled language that I couldn't understand when she was speaking it softly, occasionally she'll say it because she's screaming it, she'll say it differently and I'll hear something that I didn't hear before and I'll get it, but not most of the time. Most of the time it's pretty consistent. And when she screams it and I don't understand her, what happens is she'll throw a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And, and when she tantrums and I don't understand her, she'll come at me and try and attack. She'll try and run and rip my shirt or bite me or do something. And I wish I could say that I figured this out easily, but it took yeah. me 15 years to sit with sitting with this and having it happen sometimes as often as two, three, four times a day. Mm -hmm. Finally, I was sitting there one day and she started to run towards me in her rage. And I looked her right in the eyes and I said, Elisa, you know I love you more than anything in this world. You know I want to understand you more than anything in this world. Will you please try and say what you're trying to say to me without using words? And she looked at me and her face that was full of rage turned into a smile that melted my heart. And in perfect English, for the first time in her life, she said, I am daddy. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like, follow and share. And in perfect English, for the first time in her life, she said, I am daddy. Oh. And I said, what the expletive deleted are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, like, how in the heck are you doing that? Yeah. And she took her finger and she put it to the side of her head like this. Mm. And I understood from that that she was putting thoughts in my head, but I just wanted to be sure. I said, yeah. you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts in my head? <laughs> and she smiled and she said, yes, daddy. And she did what you did, which made me do it, what you what, that as well she broke into a contagious full belly laugh <laughs> and we left together for about 20 minutes 
And what I felt in that was she had finally taken off all the pressure on herself to try and find a way to let me know how she was communicating to me because she was putting thoughts in my head. And I had heard those thoughts and I had understood them, but I didn't think that it was possible. Like who thinks that they're developmentally delayed kids telepathically speaking to them. And I didn't even know if she was capable of thinking some of those thoughts. Mm. Here's the interesting thing, Alexis. From that moment on, she never screamed, she never tantrumed, and she never attacked again. She had found a way to communicate to me. And had we just kept it there, it would have been all that I ever dreamed for. Now I had a way where I don't understand her all the time. Yeah. But the most fulfilling part of my life was in taking words from a girl that I was never able to have a conversation with and have it apply to everybody that I was able to have conversations with. She taught me a model of speak, yell, tantrum, attack that I saw was the same thing that happened in corporations that I worked with, in families that I worked with, in government offices that I worked with, in hospitals, in education, in in prison cells. And I watched how people are when they don't feel heard. They, when they speak and they don't feel heard, they yell. When they yell and they don't get feel heard, they create chaos. Look what's happening in America right now with 75 million people who haven't felt heard except by Donald Trump. You know, they are standing yeah. up and saying and, and doing all sorts of things to say, we want to be heard. And until we listen, we will have, we will have chaos and, and destruction. Yeah. When we listen, all of that will vanish, just like it did with my daughter. Mm-hmm. So what fulfills me is that someone that nobody can understand was able to speak to me in a way that I finally could understand mm-hmm. about how to understand everybody in the world. Mm. Does that make uh, sense? Seems like, yeah. This seems like a recurring theme so far on... Yeah. On on this show, I mean, we haven't <laughs> at this point officially launched anything yet, but we've had a few conversations with some very interesting people, and we we the first conversation we had was with a, a, a guy named Jonathan Rivera. He he calls himself a conversational activist, and uh, what he had said is that when he comes face to face with people that are on the surface drastically different than him he's found that no matter how hostile their approach, if he listens to what they have to say, if he absorbs all of the anger and sometimes vitriol that that is thrown at him, that there comes a point in the conversation where a calm takes over the person who was previously angry because they understand that their words are being received without judgment and without repercussion. And then a true connection is able to form. And I I think that there's something very beautiful in that, something that should be obvious to all of us, but sadly, something that is so easily missed. Yeah. Well, I I really don't understand that. I would love an introduction to him, by the way, just to meet him and sort of see the work that he's doing down the line. Absolutely. But what I don't understand is why the simplest thing in the world is so hard. Yeah. And what you're saying, you know, there's this cycle that people go through in order to be heard. You know, um, I'm sure you, you know, know all the order of those things and, you know, you're, you're very informed and familiar with the cycle. But, you know, yeah, why do we need something like that? 
Why can't we just listen when people talk? And why can't we just say what we need to say? Yeah. You know, but yeah, for some of us, it's difficult on either end. So people don't know how to listen. Some don't know how to communicate. I have a theory. Because, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, it, and it's developed over the span of my life. When I was growing up, there weren't, there weren't, very, there weren't many avenues to be listened to. Um, now there's so many, there were three TV stations. They were on yeah. for only six hours a day. You know, radio <laughs> right. was a thing that was happening, but it was hard to be heard. So what people, what, what became prevalent for people to do is to find their like-minded community. And, and I, I, I know the feeling of that. When I found my like-minded people, I, I thought I died and went to heaven. I couldn't believe there were other people as crazy as I was, that <laughs> like I believed, that I didn't need to yeah. defend my points of view, that they actually understood them. And I thought, mm-hmm. this is like the most beautiful, sacred place in the whole world because I feel understood and heard. Mm-hmm. Instead of being one lone wolf on a hill going, ow, <laughs> suddenly I was in a group of wolves and we were making louder sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a time for everything and a, and, a, and, a, and a reason for everything and an end to everything. And I believe that same thing that was the glory of my earlier days is now the scorn of my existence. Because I believe our like-minded communities are getting, are getting stronger and stronger. And the gaps between our communities and the other communities that don't think like us are getting wider and deeper. And we're siloed away in like-mindedness. Mm-hmm. And we are and we are fighting each other because what we because we don't have the courage to allow other ideas to come in because we're scared of what will happen to our like-minded community if we yeah. accept other thoughts of other thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's time to take down our silos, and what mosaic is all about is taking down the the separations that exist between us. We are not broken pieces all coming together. We are one whole image that through our brokenness makes us see broken pieces that come together. But we are actually way more connected, as you were saying, than anything we've ever, than anything we could ever realize. Yeah. And, and our physical forms, like how is it possible you're a beautiful woman and I'm an old fat guy, you know, and, and so how is it possible? My time will come. <laughs> okay. How is it possible that we are, that we're connected? No one would look at us and say we're the same. Yeah. But that's just in form. Mm-hmm. What science is now showing us through quantum physics is what metaphysics has told us all along, which we are, we are not made up of form. We're made up of energy. And our energy is exactly the same. The thoughts that you're thinking are the thoughts that I'm thinking one second later because we're connected. The air that you're breathing out is the air that I'm breathing in one moment later because energy moves at speeds we don't even know. And in that air that we breathe are the molecules of a Hitler and a Stalin, but also of a Jesus and a Buddha and a Gandhi. And we can choose what, what molecules of air we want to inhale or don't want to inhale. What I love about Mosaic is we are one piece away from everything we have ever desired. We're one connection away from having everything we want. We want to have a fabulous place. We're just one connection away from that having it. And it seems like it's impossible for it to happen. But when we make one connection, suddenly whole worlds open up to us that we never even conceived before were possible because we now are not surrounded by the same pieces that surround us, but we have new, new vistas that we can see. 
And when we use the pieces around us, not use them, but when the pieces around us become bridges to new realities rather than walls that protect us in our realities, like a like-minded community's walls do, we are able to now experience things that are beyond our comprehension. And how beautiful is it now for us when we can both look at exactly the same thing and see it totally differently? Yeah. I become so curious and I say, how in the world is it possible that you look at that? Tell me what you see. What? That's beautiful. I want to know what you see because I see it so totally different. Share with me. Will you show me and let me see what you see and help me see what you see? How beautiful does that become? You can support the show by leaving a positive review on iTunes. Also, remember to like, follow, and share. Thank you for listening. And let me see what you see and help me see what you see. How beautiful does that become? Yeah, I can relate to that. I I mean, it's a funny little story, but I was teaching my nine-year-old how to... Uh, clean the bathroom. <laughs> we got to the toilet, you know, we're spraying it down, teaching her how to do it. And she's thinking she's cleaned it. And I said, well, you know, we got to take another look. Oh, well, it looks clean. I said, well, yeah, but come over here. Like, look at it from over here. Like, right. let's, let's see this. Oh, oh, wow. Sorry, mom. <laughs> it's like, no, it's okay. It's just, yeah. You got to, yeah. you know, you got to let the light shine on some things. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I read a quote a, a while ago, and I'm going to butcher it horribly. <laughs> but the the basic premise was that when you're looking at a piece of land, you know, a farmer is going to see the soil, the geologist is going to see the rocks, and a developer is going to see essentially a canvas on which he can place buildings. We're all looking at the same plot of land and seeing drastically different things. And, you know, none of us is wrong in absorbing the details that are most important to us. But I think, again, too often we forget to have this discussion about the different things we see, even if it's just talking about potential or expectations or, or passions, you know, maybe on the surface, these things are very different, but the things that lead us towards our surface observations or our surface conclusions are very much the same things. We're motivated by the same needs, the same questions. Yes. And that's why I like having conversations with, I, I hate to say different people because I'm learning more and more that the, the idea of different people is sort of silly, but I'll say new people, people that yeah. I've been previously unfamiliar with. I find that with each of these conversations, I, I come in expecting to learn something about the the people I'm talking to, but invariably I end up learning something about myself instead. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I, I would, I would reframe it for me a little bit. It's not that I learned something about myself instead. I would, I would say, that I learned, I do learn something about other people and I learn something about myself. There isn't a either or world that we live in. We live in a world where we're united. And the more we learn about the way people see the world, the more we grow in our ability to see the world differently. I think it was Wayne Dyer who said, when we change the way we look at the world, the world we see changes. Mm -hmm. And it's just that simple. 
Mm-hmm. We think that what we see is what the world is, but what we see is really just what we see. Yeah. It may sometimes or may not be our, what the world is. Yeah. Sometimes it's just, we just need a change in our thinking or a change in our attitude, which takes work, especially if we've been habitually stuck in something else, you know, start thinking positive. Uh, yeah. Last year wasn't fun. Well, let's just start saying that's going to get better. Not could it get worse? Let's start saying it's going to get better. You know, let's look at things differently and let's aim for change and restructuring of things that need improvement. And, um, but that doesn't happen unless it, you know, it's got to start here. Yeah. You know, like, so I always liked when people say things and I do this to myself also. So it's a practice of self inquiry also. Is when I say something that I really believe, I always then ask myself, what if that weren't true? Mm hmm. It seems like it's so true. And it seems like we've, we, and what I found is the more that I did that, the more I realized that there were stories that I had told myself so many times over and over and over again, that I started to believe they were facts, but they weren't facts. Mm. They were stories. Mm. And those stories were most of the time not true. And when I had the courage to unravel that story, there were houses built on it and villages and towns and communities and cities and states and nations and countries. And when I unraveled that, everything came tumbling down. So what I love, always love to ask, there was a time where I was recruited by a company called Vistage. And I wish that I could have um, come up with the saying they came up with. I ended up not working with them because I didn't like certain things they did. But this saying they had I, I, I wish I would have come up with it first so I didn't have to credit them all the time. <laughs> they said, when people come to work with us, they think we're going to answer their questions. Mm. What we do rather is we answer, we question their answers. We don't answer their questions. We question their answers. And I realize that's exactly what I do. When people give me answers, I always ask them, well, okay, what if that weren't true? Like, take that off the table. I know that's what you believe. Now, what would, yeah. what would happen if, you, if that wasn't possible? What would you see now? Mm-hmm. And, and it's so interesting because just like that image of the old hag and the young socialite, you know, the line drawing I'm talking about, that black yeah, and white drawing, so. yeah. where you see an old hag and you see a, <clears throat> the way we see the world blocks us from seeing everything else that's there in the picture. Because when we see the old hag, we can't see the young socialite. And when we see the young socialite, we can't see the old hag until suddenly we have a changed perception. And when we see the other one, we can't see the one we originally saw. Mm-hmm. So when I realized that what I see actually blocks me from seeing everything else, it became even more important for me to wonder what would happen if what I see is not what is, and I just put it aside and say, what would the world look like without my vision of it? What's it just look like on its own? Yeah, sometimes one answer will lead you to several others. Sometimes that's not where it ends. Sometimes, you know, there's more questions. There's more depth. Yeah. And, no, I like that. No, I, I remember I had a conversation with my with my mom a little while ago, and her and I often find ourselves at odds in uh, in questions of personal philosophy because she still adheres to a religious uh, belief system that I walked away from years ago. And part of that belief system is, um, I think, a tendency to reinforce 
personal beliefs through drawing on personal experience. And she had asked me at one point, well, how can you see things this way? You know what we experienced together, but now you're saying that that's not the case. And I said, mom, like I've had to learn that just because I've experienced or observed something firsthand doesn't mean that I can trust these experiences or these observations because ultimately it's all my interpretations of what was going on. And the way I interpret things is largely informed with my mindset coming into an experience. So the first thing I have to question is my own view of things. And this seemed like such a foreign concept to her, but when I was listening to what you're saying, I realized like how much this has become sort of like a subconscious part of my approach to life. And I'd like to say that it's put me in this wonderful position of being able to understand others very well, but I find that I still struggle to accept other people's perceptions. I get so busy in unpacking my own view of things. I forget to allow the space for other people to unpack as well. Yeah. You've never done that with me. So I don't know that side of you because you've always held the space for me to unpack. And I really always admire that in you. But in essence, when Alexis, you were asking, why don't we listen? It's because we have more of a commitment, like, like AC just said, of unpacking what it is we believe rather than hearing what other people believe. And that isn't bad. That's fine. It's just there will come a moment in time where we say, I already know what I believe. Like, I would love to know what you believe. And I don't have to agree with you. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want to, I just want to listen to you and hear you. And I mm -hmm. want you to know I, I hear you. I want to love and accept you. And I want to acknowledge and validate what you believe. It doesn't mean I believe like you. Right. I have some friends that have the wildest, most cockamamie belief systems you could ever imagine. <laughs> but if they were to come in harm's way, I would take a bullet for them because I love them because I don't love them because of what they believe. I love them because they're my friends and that's who they are. We had a great time chatting with Daniel on this episode. Next time we'll continue our conversation with him by talking about the power of loving for no reason, how fear affects our ability to connect with others, how to find things we like in the people we hate the importance of being ourselves, and how a shift of focus can change the way we see everything. Trust me, you do not want to miss a single word of this conversation.